You are listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary at IWU. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. We've got an opportunity to do social justice and compassion ministries in our city. We've got resources, whether it's human resources or facility resources or relational resources. We've got a heart, we've got resources. How do we get started? I'm going through a series of papers right now, and I would say those questions are emerging from at least half, and more than that, far more than that, I would say that three quarters to 90% of them are discerning an opportunity exists for their church to do compassion ministries in their city. As a result, I think today's guest is perfect to talk to us about how churches might get started, about how pastors might get started, about how organizations and churches might collaborate together in some of these compassion opportunities that are existing for local churches. Joining us today is Andrew Sprock. Andrew is the uh, director of Circles of Grant County here in Marion, Indiana. He has an MDiv from Northern Seminary. He's got a background in education, having done teaching in private and public schools, working for community public health organizations, and also working in ministry, specifically ministry to teens. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. All right. I'd love for you just to get started telling us a little bit about what brought you to Marion and Circles of Grant County, and what's the work that Circles of Grant County does? Yeah. Well, uh, as, I, as you mentioned in the intro there, uh, my, I went to seminary in the Chicago area. Both my wife and I did. We're originally from Kansas. And then we uh, had a good friend in seminary who was an alumni of Anderson University just down the road. And uh, he connected my wife with a position there. And then eventually we migrated 45 minutes up the road and, and uh, landed here in Marion. Well, we're glad you're here. Yeah, well, thank uh, I've, you. I've got, I've got colleagues that participate in Circles of Grant County. And it's actually mm-hmm. one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Levicheva Joseph, that said Andrew would be a great guest. And so I did a bit of background checking, yeah. you know, just to make sure. And she was right, right? So, okay. <laughs> uh, and it's really interesting that that you're here in my office today on a day that I have been reading these papers. Uh, talk to us a little bit about Circles of Grant County. What's the work that it does? Yeah. Well, Circles is a national organization, and it's present in about 75 communities throughout the United States. But uh, it was started really as an effort to apply some of the work of Ruby Payne. Ruby Payne would be familiar in some education circles, probably some social work circles. But basically, her uh, work is around um, poverty and what is it that that helps families move from poverty to middle income. And one of the significant things that she identifies is that there are distinct cultures associated with poverty, with middle income, and with wealth. And just as it is um, as if we were to uh, move and to assimilate into a new culture uh, in another country or another community, um, there are ways in which there's those, those kind of dynamics are similar to the way a person that's working to move from poverty, again, especially generational poverty. Um, there are similar kind of dynamics that they would have to navigate in order to work towards middle income. Because it's not just a matter of your knowledge or your income. There's habits, ways of being, values, un- unwritten rules, um, all these things that are, are a part of, um, that are distinct about poverty, about middle income, and about wealth, that you really need a friendship across that common social boundary in order to be able to integrate 
uh, most easily into a new culture. So that's kind of the, that's the philosophy behind circles as far as when the founder was looking at how can we do this? Uh, that, that was the intention with developing circles. I was recently uh, working alongside another organization that does help with people mm -hmm. who are in poverty. And it really was obvious to me that there, this is not something that has a quick fix. This is something that yeah. is multi-layered yeah. and it takes a long time. And I saw they were introducing me to people that they had been working with, I, I mean, for years and years. Mm -hmm. I mean, even yeah. even generations. And I love the metaphor that you use of, of moving to a new culture, that you can be a person who... Uh, moves into a new culture and you can adapt and you have some some familiarity with it and you're kind of getting by but really it's another your, your children are going to have a different mm -hmm. experience in that new culture yeah. and their children are going to have a different yeah. experience right this sometimes takes a while to, to be from an area or i think about friends of mine who have gone to places to to pastor and yet they've always been from quote unquote away yeah, right like and, right. and so so even people who are in that culture they they don't really accept them as being one of them until you know mm -hmm. their children are, are raised and maybe they're having kids, yeah. right? There, there's yeah. kind of these dynamics there. That metaphor really helps me to 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 frame to understand some of the challenges of overcoming poverty. Yeah, and it really it's help. It is helpful to think of it in a generational kind of perspective. I was uh, this has been a while back, but there was um, NPR was they were talking about a study that had been done on uh, integrating families uh, from generational poverty into middle-income neighborhoods. And uh, there wasn't a lot of measurable difference. There was a mo just modest measurable difference in the adults that moved in. But the biggest impact was then on the kids from the generational poverty that grew up in middle-income neighborhoods. There was a marked difference in their, um, in their experience of, of navigating and moving in, into uh, middle income or into wealth because, again, it is like that. It's, you've been in a culture for so long as an adult, there's some things that are that are that just take longer to unlearn. Whereas um, as, as a youth or, or even child, there's things that are easier to navigate. But even beyond that, I think one of the unique things about circles is uh, really it's, it's not just an effort to... Um, offer resources to folks that are poor. But really it is, um, and, and this would be unique to the way that we live it out here in our community. I don't think the national organization would articulate it like this, but we really see this process um, for those of us who are, who are integrating our faith and are there because of our faith values as part of our own spiritual formation too. Uh, we're not, um, I think it's easy and, and maybe speaking of cultures, I think the church culture has been one where we've always we have often wanted to be the saviors and the helpers, and without often recognizing that there we have so much to receive in these relationships too, and so we have to be able to come in and have a sense of our own poverty, and by that I mean our own where are the places in which we are powerless to change our situation, and when we have a sense of our own poverty and know how it is that others have approached us in that, or how, how others have been gracious, what's been helpful to us in the midst of our own poverty, in the midst of our own powerlessness. And that really begins to change the way in which we build a relationship with somebody who's experiencing financial poverty. And I think that's really critical to the relationship because 
We're not there to mentor. We're there to have an intentional friendship that stretches across some of these common social boundaries of race and class. So I want to get into a little bit of the specifics with that. You're yeah. using a word, the word relationship. And one of the things that I always try to affirm is that if there's a relationship, it's a two-way street, right? Yeah, there's yeah. there's giving and receiving that has to go both ways. Yeah. If you've only got giving and one person's only receiving, then you've got like a client and a and yeah, a service provider. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, you know, you've got a one one-way relationship. I mean, there's you could say like you know, paying for services or something like that. Obviously, that's not uh, the case here. But um, a relationship has, has got a two-way street. And you're talking about we can learn to receive when we see our own poverty. And I've kind of got in mind my own experience, especially as a pastor, mm-hmm. where I would have people come in and they're they're looking for some immediate help um, for whatever reasons. And yet they can be the same folks, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same folks yeah. mm-hmm. that, that were here in the summer. They're now here in the fall. Maybe they were here last Christmas, whatever it is. And it was one of the things on my heart was to make a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And so we try to build that into our process yeah. so that we were finding ways to pray with them, yeah. to have conversation, that we weren't simply giving something and then they were and then they were gone for three months. You know, yeah. I wanted to have a relationship. I didn't always know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was certainly that was certainly my heartbeat. And I was able to show some pastoral care, but it wasn't really a relationship. Uh, how have you seen relationships uh, take root in, between um, folks that are are helping uh, one another uh, through your own work at Circles of Grant County? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think um, there's a couple of parts that really, you know, as you talk about the nature of of some of the compassion ministries and churches and and. Oftentimes it can be frustrating because it feels like it turns into a transaction and you are seeing some of the cycle uh, where people are, are showing up and, and then you see them again in almost the same spot. And I think one of the things the church has to wrestle with is um, what is the difference between crisis need and chronic need? And Bob Lupton um, talks a lot about that in, in Toxic Charity and some of the follow-up books. But, but if we approach... Uh, chronic need with a crisis response, mm-hmm. then we ultimately end up perpetuating that need and building dependency and that kind of thing. And that, those are kind of abstract terms, but in some sense, uh, par- this this is oversimplifying it. But in what way can we see and draw on the capacity, the capability of all people in the midst of their need? So. Um, considering instead of doing, uh, you know, like food co-ops instead of, um, you know, situations where you're just doing a food bank where you're giving without any kind of expectation that the other person has something worth offering. I don't, it's a really unintended message, but I think it's still there that when we continue to give things away for free without outside of the context of a relationship, we are, we might be doing it with our best intentions, with sincere compassion and concern, but I think we need to be aware of the system that we may be participating in and one that um, creates dependency, one that ultimately says unintentionally, um, you don't have anything of offer, anything of value mm. to offer to this relationship. Mm. And I know in saying that, that that's would step on lots of toes. And that's hard to imagine and navigate the differences between how do we respond in ways that draw on the capableness of all people. Um, 
but I think it's it's a harder and slower, but ultimately a more necessary way to approach the challenges that people face who are under-resourced. How have you seen that happen really well? So maybe it's in training or some of yeah. the folks that you work with, or maybe even in your own life. How have you seen a relationship develop yeah. um, between people who are are trying to yeah. navigate out of poverty and those who are trying to help them navigate yeah. out of poverty? Well, um, and this was something that was given to us, so I certainly can't claim any credit for it. But um, one of the traditions, I, I think it's helpful to think about patterns, habits, mm. traditions. Okay. One of the traditions or patterns that we do each week in circles is um, over dinner. We have we have dinner and then a meeting each week. So a family style dinner, you know, the whole family's there, and we go around the table and everybody shares something that is new and good in their life. Again, we're focusing on building our gratitude muscles because I think that's so critical as we face some of the really hard things in life. Not to be in denial about those hard things, but to be in touch with the resources that we do have and to be in touch with the things that are good. Um, and at first, lots of folks kind of, um, well, I'm here, you know, is there is as much as they can get. But ultimately, it's great to see when people begin to transition to, oh, I'll go first. And, and they are ready to open up and share and celebrate with others. Sometimes it's something simple or really significant. So that's one of the the patterns or habits that we have that I think is really critical. So you've got a weekly a weekly dinner. Yeah. It's structured and, and people are volunteers and, and others are coming together. They're, mm -hmm. they're sharing the same meal, sharing mm -hmm. the same table and sharing conversation together. Uh, I think that's such an important example because oftentimes in the church we have this way of we will idolize relationships and we'll often say like the only ones that really matter are the ones that are super, super close. Yeah. And so people think about relationship and they think about, you know, really close friends, best friends and, and all that comes along with that. Mm -hmm. But you're giving us an example that says, no, this is a real relationship of having real conversation and sharing a meal together. It's happening once a week. It's happening in a structured environment, but still a genuine relationship. That's still a way to consider yourself relating to another per person and receiving the gratitude that, that they yeah. are sharing and, and offering your own gratitude, right? Mm -hmm. That, that your time is valuable to give to them and their time is valuable to share with you. Yeah. And it is really, I think that that's a great way in which people, it, it gives, by the habit of it, it gives each of us an invitation to hear what's important to somebody else and what is they're valuing and, and kind of this part of their, the significant part of their experience of their life. Um, I think another, one of the other things that we do on a weekly basis that really I think is critical in our own formation is at the end of our time together, we do appreciations. So we go around the, the circle and um, somebody starts and you say something about the person next to you that you appreciate. And this, uh, again, the process of affirming what is good and valuable that another person brings is um, it's good for everyone. And I think it is probably even uh, more rare among some of the families that are in poverty because oftentimes when they show up to service providers or other folks they're being asked about what they don't have and what their deficits are and the ways in which they they have need but when you're in the evening with hey i noticed this about you this is good this is valuable i i saw this and i appreciated it um 
there's something about that that shifts all of us inside. And one of the gals who had been with us uh, for over a year was sharing with a group about her experience in circles. And, you know, she didn't jump to, hey, um, you know, now I have a new job and I'm, you know, she didn't start by talking about the measures of her success that would be apparent externally. She, she started with one of the things that's been most significant to me about being in circles is that I've learned to believe the good things that people say about me. Wow. And when you hear that, you know that you're doing some good work. Like there is good work happening because people are seeing one another. They're being seen and they're hearing what it is that they are capable of. And I think that's just a beautiful picture of what it is that we can offer to one another when we are in relationships where there are these patterns and intentions that we get to share what it is that we see about the other and believe about in them. Just the other day, I was reading a quote from, I think it was The Incredibles or The Incredibles 2. I don't know which it was, but uh, Mr. Incredible is saying something like, uh, I just saved the world. Can't it stay safe for 10 minutes? Yeah. And and he's like, it, it never does, right? The world never stays saved. And you're obviously working uh, in situations where there's, there's chronic need, there's generational uh, issues. You're trying to find redemptive ways and you're acting in redemptive ways. And you've shared some of that meaningful work. I love that line about, I finally learned to believe the good things people say about me. At the same time, my mind is going to, man, there had to have been some, some times where there was presumption on your time, presumption on your resources, and you had to draw some boundaries or you had to, to develop some wisdom in that. Do you mind sharing some of the wisdom that you've developed through your own work in doing compassion ministry yeah. with people in poverty? Yeah, I, I think I would just start with saying um, that's it's so it's still tricky. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because uh, people, how do you both how do you walk the, the kind of fine line between um, being a friend that is helping and wanting to be in the midst of difficult things with somebody else while also not contributing to some patterns that ultimately aren't healthy and helpful in the long run. Um, so all that to say, it is tricky. But one of the things that I think has been unique about circles and the way in which we've navigated that is that when folks come to us who are in poverty and motivated to change their situation, um, we set the expectation at the beginning that ultimately what we're offering is friendship and support, and we are going to share our hopes and our goals together, and we're going to be working towards those together. And no, um, we, we ultimately match uh, these families with what we call allies and no family is matched with just one ally. Hmm. Every family is matched with two to four allies. So you have um, these matched circles is what we call them, but these small groups that are um, in a sense, kind of a, a support group an encouragement group. And I think the nature of being a part of a group where there are a variety of people hearing, offering their input, um, contributing to the conversations about what it is about meeting some of those extreme needs. It does help to change the dynamic because I think a lot of times, especially as pastors, 
we probably hear that conversation more in the one-on-one sense Mm. or they're coming to us like will you Mm -hmm. help solve this problem and in a match circle it's never really well will you it's here it is what resources does this group have and one of the comments one of the allies made that sticks in my mind was i learned that the connections that i have can be helpful to somebody else and i think when you increase that the number of connections then you do find that even when you're facing some really difficult situations it doesn't have to fall all on one person hmm. and it, if you draw on the resources of the group then then there might be um some external again external resources that can continue to be drawn in to meet some of those challenges so so i think those that that has helped us and and we did have a lot of uh folks who are coming to consider being allies at the you know that come and say you know i've i have been burned before or what do i do people are they going to ask me for money or these kinds of things and for the most part we really um i think because of the structure and the expectations that we set at the front we've really had uh, very little of that um because there is this expectation that it is giving both ways there's this expectation that we are here as friends first and sometimes uh i think friends um grieve hmm. with you uh, they don't do it for you hmm. um and i think that's sometimes been our role uh again we want to encourage and want to want to draw on the resources that a person already has and see those and call those out in them um while also i mean i think even as friends you know our neighbor gets a flat tire and you know or has car troubles and we let them borrow our car for a few days or those kinds of things friends do give mm-hmm. and share in things but but it's a different kind of dynamic when it's in the context of an ongoing relationship uh, joining us today is Andrew Sprock. Andrew is the director of Circles of Grant County. Circles uh, being a national organization uh, that is helping people out of generational poverty. I've got a couple of questions uh, that I'd like to, to ask you about. Uh, number one, if I was just to say, um, what do people who are not in poverty need to know about people who are, are in poverty? What do they need to know? Yeah, um, a couple things I would say, and, and this will be returning to a few things from earlier, but um, a lot of times we've got to do the work of recognizing the values and the context that we're bringing to that relationship. Because um, if somebody else prioritizes something differently than we do, a lot of times we it's easier for us to associate that with either right or wrong when it is just different. I, I mean, I'm thinking of example, um, one of the uh, stories in the book Evicted, which is talking about uh, the life of folks who um, live really on the margins and uh, with some, some really significant housing insecurity. And um, this woman, uh, you know, she got her government check and she ended up going buy a lobster and spending it all right at the beginning of the month. But, and I think it was, you know, as the, the author's kind of looking at this, he says, you know, she didn't do this because she, she didn't spend all this money because she was in poverty. 
she was in poverty. So she wanted to have an experience, a moment of relief from the weight of her experience. And a moment of relief was worth it to her because she knew that no matter what she did, the paycheck was always going to run out and she'd have to scramble. So why not catch your breath kind of thing? And so when you can look at it through a different lens of a different kind of experience and a different set of values and not and be aware of what you're bringing to it, especially as it relates to a judgment of whether something is right or wrong, wise or unwise, um, if you can be, instead of um, Dr. or a father... Uh, Boyle, who writes Tattoos on the Heart, he says we ought to stand, instead of standing in judgment of the poor, we ought to stand in awe of the burdens that they're carrying. And I think if we can work on these awe mm. muscles mm. and consider the, the burden that many of these folks are bearing, um, that will change our position significantly. And we'll be able to relate that, differently. And that takes down the pressure to solve and to fix. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I think about it like that, 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 I mean, I'm trying to pull together a number of thoughts that I've just heard you share really helpfully with us is a, a sense of relationship and, and recognizing the dignity of another person that even if they're making choices, I wouldn't agree with, they're still making choices and they're a person who can make choices. I don't, I'm not responsible for their choices. Mm -hmm. Um, I see myself as a person who can receive some of the good that they've got, mm -hmm. seeing them as a person who's operating and living within a, a set of habits and practices mm -hmm. that are different from mine that I don't need to pass judgment on in the moment uh, as though it's my responsibility to solve mm -hmm. them. It's more, it's my responsibility to affirm the dignity of any other person. Mm -hmm. It's my opportunity to, to see them as a person who has value to offer and as a person who is of interest and worth. Mm -hmm. And for me, that just takes down the, the Mr. Incredible mindset of like, yeah. man, can't, can't it stay solved for 10 minutes? Or, yeah. or why did you give me something more to do? Why did you give me another problem to solve? Like, no, I don't have to put that pressure on myself. I have to, like, I can see it as an opportunity to come alongside somebody and within the resources that have been given to me, not to, not to be finding resources outside of me, but to maybe seeing resources that other people that I'm close mm -hmm. to have that are interested in sharing, right? There's a difference between, you know, conjuring up resources that are not there and, and making connections. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that just really takes down the pressure for me. I mean, yeah. that, that just makes it seem uh, um, uh, more uh, vibrant, mm -hmm. more meaningful, much, much richer than than, you know, heaping this pressure on yeah. myself and, and even guilt that, that can come along. Yeah. yeah. And I think it does. Um, I think part of the invitation in it, in it for us too is to lament or to grieve um, instead of just trying to be the hero or solve <laughs> the problem. And, and our, sometimes our more appropriate response is one of grief and not one of trying to fix it for somebody else. Um, and that's, that's probably not our, culturally, that's not our knee-jerk reaction as far as the culture of the church, especially uh, probably middle and upper income churches. That's our, our response is, how can we fix it? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a good question to ask, in what way can I contribute to uh, a situations or an environment where people um, have access to, to the resources they need to meet their needs? But it's a really different kind of question or different kind of response to, to ask, 
What is there for the, in this for me to grieve? And in what way do does my do, do I need to be still hmm. first um, and be with somebody in it? I'd like you to put your organizational leadership hat on mm-hmm. for a second. You're you're a person that's been active in the church, pastored in churches. You know that you know that life. We've got people listening in that are pastors that are yeah. heavily involved in their churches, and maybe they've got a circles in their in their town. Maybe they don't. Maybe they've yeah. got another organization. I'd love for you to put your organizational leadership hat on and talk to us from from that perspective about what are you what can churches do to be organizational friends. Maybe I'll put yeah, it like that. Yeah. How can churches be a, a friend of the organization that are aren't necessarily faith based, but um, have some ways that they can collaborate, have some some directions that they're they're at least facing in the same direction, mm-hmm. right? Not all the values might line, might not line up, but they've got some shared values and they've got some yeah. things that that their their missions can overlap. How can churches be good organizational friends to other organizations in their area that are doing some compassion work? Yeah. Well, again, I think it it all starts with how you show up to those kinds of things. Because I think engagement with the struggle of poverty, engagement with the struggle of powerlessness in another, and ultimately our own poverty, our own powerlessness, is, is one of spiritual formation. So if we are approaching a neighborhood organization, a community organization, and saying, I want to help you solve problems, there's value in that, but I don't think that's the first thing we ought to be doing. Even as we respond as Christians, as, as people of faith, uh, we ought to be leading with internally our sense that God has something for me in this. There is a way in which there is the image of Christ that is alive and well on the margins of our society and in the people, among people who are hurting and who whose life is strained by the burdens of poverty. There is, a, there is a way in which we can know and see and be near to God when we are with them, that we can't be otherwise. And so I think our posture is so important. And even as we try to extend ourselves to, to partner with community organizations, it must begin with the work of our own posture and the way in which we show up to these things. In Circles, we worked for over a year just collecting, you know, convening conversations, connecting with like-minded folks just to clarify the way in which we were going to approach all this and to gather people who are like-minded and prepared to engage in this different kind of model. And I think we've got to be willing to slow ourselves down to engage in a different kind of way. And maybe that, that doesn't necessarily answer the question as far as how do we make that connection. But I think what I'm trying to say is the first work is within us before we're prepared to engage another in a different kind of context. How would a person know that they're ready to make that connection? Yeah. How would they know that they're in touch with the poverty of their own life? And now it's not out of 
arrogance. It's not out of a false sense of self. It's out of a, an optimism of grace. It's out of yeah. a, a holy expectation that God is calling me to this. God is calling our church to this. How, how might a, a pastor, a person, a church, how might they know that they're ready to take the second step? Yeah. Um, I think at some point, once you have are in touch with your own powerlessness and your poverty, there is this um, probably necessary humiliation that we are not as powerful and capable as we have believed ourselves to be. And at that point, I think you you do have the willingness to stumble forward. And I think it is that that just I recognize that my desperate need for grace, and I'm going to jump in and enter into these relationships as one who knows that I need grace and is willing mm. to extend grace. Mm. And so it, I don't know that it's so much a moment of I'm equipped as much as it is I'm willing mm. to be to stumble forward in grace and um, to learn learn with and from people whose life experience is so different than mine. And I think we also need to think about the neighborhoods and the places that we live and occupy um, as churches, as individuals. What, what is our, what's our common context? What is it, what does it look like? Where do the, are the places that we go to eat? Where are the places we shop? Where, what are our neighborhoods look like? And if we, um, if we find ourselves as most probably do, in us in most often with with and in relationship with people whose life experience is really similar to ours um then then we've got some we've got to think about the challenge of even the structural part of our life in what ways might we consider a life that is intentional about integrating into places and spaces that are different from my own Joining us today has been Andrew Sprock. Andrew is the director of Circles of Grant County, Circles being a national organization that works at both national and local levels to reduce poverty. Uh, Andrew, thanks so much for sharing part of your story with us today. Yeah. I'm grateful for the time. Thanks for inviting me. And you've, you've certainly given me uh, a way to think about it. It's, it uh, you give me some language to think about uh, every once in a while we hear from listeners of the podcast and, and to realize the ways that they are taking something that without listening and applying what we're trying to give, then the value of this is really nil. Mm -hmm. But they do take it and apply it. And as a result, it's so honoring to, to me. And I used to feel like, I can feel better about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can see because we all need a sense of affirmation. So I can yeah. be like, you know, it's, it's good to take affirmation from other people. Uh, and so I appreciate you, you giving me that, that grace and, mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, perspective to be able to enjoy that. And, and out of that, of course, to, to be giving it. And, and in that, in that rhythm of giving and receiving, um, I'm also thinking about, man, uh, you know, we, we practice this with our kids and not to take for granted that we practice it because it was practiced with us, right? And that's part of the generational thing. But how do we, how do we um, introduce them to other places and spaces, like mm -hmm. you said, that's different from our home, not in a way that's unsafe, but in a way that's controlled and secure, as you talk about boundaries. Mm -hmm. And you've been talking about the structured ways that you're forming relationships. Such a great encouragement and a way to take off pressure, a way to in, uh, give us a sense of optimism, a sense that that of divine expectation that, that God is in this and God loves to be encountered. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if he's encountered at these, in these places and spaces at the margin that he's not encountered elsewhere, that he might be 
interested in drawing us to those places um, yeah. and to expect them to do that. And so I, I, I just appreciate that, that affirmation, that sense of, you know, what's coming to mind is Jesus saying to those, if you have ears to hear, let them hear, mm-hmm. you know, and to, to be listening for, for where is God sparking conversation and, and opportunity for relationship. Uh, listeners, I hope this has been encouraging to you. Uh, check out, uh, you can check out Circles of Grant County by visiting circlesofgc.org, www.circlesofgc.org. You can find some more information about Circles of Grant County there, and you can find more about Circles by visiting circlesusa.org as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you'll avail yourself of some of the other podcast episodes available from the Wesley Seminary podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.